0: Hi
1: everyone this is Caitlin and this is Jessica and this is calling all spirits how are you doing Jess I am having a good Sunday just I'd say I've been relaxing but I've actually been prepping for the show <laughs> and um <laughs> up since seven working on my notes and because um, it's a big one today I feel like it's like the Fox sisters all over I feel like there's pressure to get this one right
0: <laughs> oh I am so glad that you are going first on this one because with the event I had yesterday and the other things I've had going on at work in the evenings, I would not be able to give the needed research to do the first half of this topic. So I am really looking forward to digging into it myself this coming week, but I am so grateful you're doing round one.
1: (laughs) I know. Hopefully, I well, hey, maybe I'm setting the bar very low. (laughs) Maybe you'll come in and clean up after. (laughs) Given the level of detail you give
0: your research, you know that's not accurate. I'm the one who freeforms things.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, this is such a big topic and when we were talk like when we were first brainstorming this podcast, it was sh- this was one of the topics where like we have to cover her. Like we mm-hmm. have to cover and it was more of just a matter of, like how <clears throat> soon do we get to do it? It was kind of like Victoria Fox sisters like these are these are our two (laughs) and then we have to build from there.
0: (laughs) Clapton sisters, Fox sisters. Who do we start with? Yeah, we we have to start with the Fox sisters. When do we do Victoria and Tenny? And so we compromised and we held off until election season because it seemed fitting.
1: Well, it did. And it's like we don't want to get political, but how can we incorporate? We're about to go through this big election into the podcast and. It just was perfect to start with, to put Victoria here.
0: Absolutely. And then we realized that it had to be a two-parter because there was no way we could cover Victoria and Tenny separately without just overlapping and repeating a ton of information. But we also could in no way fit this into one episode, unless y'all were down for like a three and a half hour episode randomly happening in our lives.
1: <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you are it's so true. It. And even now I'm looking at all my notes and I'm like, holy cow, because there was so much that happened in their lives. I mean, their early life alone, which we're talking about today, it's it's even hard for me to keep up with. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. So yeah, so hopefully I've gone over my notes several times and um, this is a great time to cite one of really the leading source I use, not my only one, but that's Other Power's. So it's a book called Other Powers, The Age of Suffrage, Spiritualism, and the Scandalous Victoria Woodhull by Barbara Goldsmith. And it is amazing.
0: It is such a good book. I haven't read it in years. I'm looking forward to pulling some of the parts that I know are in there for my research. I also need to get on the other book that I have.
1: (laughs) Do you know, the first time I read it was in college, which is where I discovered, like we've talked about spiritualism and Victoria and i read it then and i had forgotten how good of a book it was till i went back to reread it so and and for people listening like it, yes it's a history book but it's not written like a boring history book it's like a novel i mean it just sucks you in and and it's not just victoria it weaves in american history and suffrage and I, it's it's just unbelievable like i was I hate, like, I had to, like, catch myself be like, okay, Jessica, you can't just sit there and read. Like, you've got to be taking notes. Like, I was just enthralled by it. So I can't wait to finish it. I kind of finally had to make myself stop so I could actually write my notes. And it's like, we'll get back to it in a little bit.
0: But it's <laughs> such a good book. It really is. And I, I I like comparing it to a gossip column because, I mean, it's the scandal of Victoria Woodhall And man, was there scandal involved.
1: Yes, I mean... You have affairs, you have spirits, you have politics, you, I mean, is it, but it, you're right. You have insider
0: trading, you have everything.
1: <laughs> yes. And it's written so beautifully. Like I said, it will suck you in, in the first page and like, you don't want to put it down. Yep. Like how? Th- this needs to be a movie.
0: Again, this... Oh, agreed. Actually, you know what? I think it should be a series because there's yes. no way you could fit this into a movie.
1: Agreed. Yes. Like, and-
0: HBO miniseries six episodes minimum. Oh my gosh. Let's go.
1: I mean, and the crazy thing is you could do it completely historically accurate like you don't even have to add or take liberties because it's such a crazy
0: story oh absolutely like this would blend in beautifully with like half of the steampunk and fantasy adventure books that have been turned into netflix miniseries and hbo series yes this literally you could take it verbatim and then just Mm -hmm. add a little bit of narration and you're good
1: yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, can some Do we have any listeners that have any poll at Netflix or HBO? We need a miniseries. We need this book. I think at the very least we need a screenwriter. <gasps> oh, somebody
0: get to work on the screenplay. Somebody else get us hooked up with the right people at Netflix. Actually, not Netflix. Netflix is being stupid with the way they keep changing the prices and killing my favorite shows. Somebody <laughs> hook us up with HBO so we don't have to worry about the level of scandal that you're about to hear about. We are going to keep it more or less PG. But um, actually, this is a really good time to yeah. add a quick caveat warning for those of you who may be listening to this with younger yeah. family members or friends. Um, maybe give the topic a quick listen before you actually let them hear about it because there are some racier aspects to Victoria's history that are definitely going to come up because there's really no
1: getting around them. <laughs> well, there isn't. And and I think that's a good warning for listeners too, as well. Like we're going to be, like you said, we're going to try to do it as gently as possible, but she, she had a really rough beginning. And so, and we have to talk about it. Well, but first of all, really quick, how are you? I didn't even ask how you were. <laughs> I was just going to jump in, but that seems very rude. So how has your weekend been? <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm good. <laughs> my sister came out to visit me with another friend of ours, and they were nice enough to help with the event yesterday. Um, I ended up at one of the headstones telling stories the entire event instead of uh, being a floater like I thought I was going to be. But the only downside to that was that I didn't have access to my sunscreen, and I think my lips are chapstick or uh, sunburnt now. Oh, um, Which is, I mean, as far as downsides are concerned, as long as it doesn't lead to melanoma, I'll be okay. (laughs) I'll just keep putting on, like, layer after layer of lotion and chapstick pathologically. Um, I am excited for tomorrow, though, because... Like y'all aren't going to be hearing this for another couple days, but tomorrow is Halloween for us. And it was adorable. Joey came home with like five giant bags of candy (gasps) to go with the box of individually wrapped Oreos that he always gets for kids anyway. He is adamant that we don't run out of candy and that we have good candy for kids and their parents. And it is so cute because he won't sit out there and give out the candy. Mm -hmm. He just insists that we have it for everyone.
1: But I love that he does that. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's really sweet. Because I know I'm the one who gets into Halloween for the most part. So mm-hmm. it's one of those where, like, I do a little bit have, like, not only his support, but his, like, demands for encouragement of, no, no, we have candy. Give it out. Oh. Okay, so you clearly support me sitting out here. I love you
1: too, <laughs> I think that's fabulous. That, oh, what a sweet guy. I, do you know, I because I feel like we've been talking about Halloween all month. I was like, what is tomorrow? Oh, yeah. It's Halloween, like, but um, uh, but we are trick or treating. I'm not that bad, like, we will, we are doing something, and yeah, you're
0: prepped. You just lost track of what day of the
1: month we're on. Yeah, oh my gosh, no kidding! But that's so exciting. I know, I think we're gonna go to a friend's house to trick or treat because our neighborhood is it's kind of wah when it comes to trick or treating. I mean, if you're willing to drive two hours, our neighborhood's pretty bumping. <laughs> drive two hours for some
0: awesome trick or treating, yep. And then we have a guest room, stay the night, go home Tuesday. I think that's a brilliant
1: plan. I would love it if he didn't have to be back at school on Tuesday. That would be actually a lot of fun.
0: If only you weren't a If you were a parent who could uh, give him a pass or something. Oh, I know.
1: I know. We haven't tried that out yet, but I feel like it's going to be coming in the near future. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, very fun. Very
0: fun. Well, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm also looking forward to hearing the first few chapters of the life story of the infamously amazing Miss <laughs> Victoria Woodhull.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, we will just go ahead and jump in. so, I mean, Victoria Woodhull, she was a spiritualist, a suffragette, free love advocate, stockbroker, a passionate campaigner for social justice. And if that wasn't enough, she was also the first woman to run for president of the United States. I mean, a badass. Just yes. incredible. Yes. So she combined her deep belief in spiritualism with her radical political views, at least radical for the time, to secure <laughs> her place in American history. So I hate to break it to you, everyone that thinks that Hillary was the first woman to run for president. Nope. She wasn't was. she actually
0: like the third or the fourth? Because there's somebody else, too. Yeah, yeah.
1: I know. I was. OK, sorry. But when everybody's like, oh, Hillary's the first. No, no, she wasn't. Like, first I guess for a major party, for a major party, yes, but first yes. across the board, no, I know. I got very salty about that. I'm like, what about Victoria? Like, how
0: are we forgetting Victoria? <laughs> yep, I actually had a lot of fun. So, my stepdad brought it up because he saw he heard everyone around him making a big deal out of mm-hmm. it, and so he knew me as a history nerd. He's like, You do know that she's not the first, and little did he know, he was opening the door up for a 15-minute Victoria Woodhull conversation (laughs) that I got very excited about, where I'm just like, I know, and oh my God. I know. It was uh, one of the few times where I accidentally dominated the conversation with him, because he's very verbose. But (laughs) we had a very long conversation about Miss Victoria, because she's
1: fabulous. She is. She is. So... Before we get to Victoria, I felt like it was only the right thing to do to start with her parents. Because I feel like this will explain so much about Victoria. (laughs) I mean, they kind of play a part in her life for a lot of the story, too. Yeah. So, yes.
0: Let's begin with the mother and the father.
1: Exactly. So, her mother, Roxanne, known as Roxy, her early life is really a bit of a mystery. So, it's been described by historians as a crude life, harsh She was considered illegitimate, uneducated, just not a great, great start. Even the true story of her family and who they were is intertwined with legend and mystery. So it was said that she was the daughter of a famous Dutchman. She was the descendant of Pocahontas. Some said she was German royalty. Victoria Woodhull even proclaimed that her mother was descended from Alexander Hamilton and George Washington. It was also rumored that she was the illegitimate daughter of Captain Jake Hummel, a German immigrant who owned a tavern. And lastly, there was another belief that she was the illegitimate daughter of Simon Snyder, a three-term governor of Pennsylvania. However, when a Hartford current reporter once asked Roxy where she came from, she simply replied, nowhere. That just, I don't know. Whew. What we do know. She spoke with a thick German accent. She could neither read or write. And by age 13, she was working as a maid in the home of John Snyder, who was son of Governor Snyder of Pennsylvania. That's kind of all we know. Now, John Snyder, her basic boss, if you will, he was a horrible person. He was very wealthy and he only loved horses and womanizing. And just to let you know truly how awful he was, he was once the best man at a friend's wedding, and after the ceremony, he sped away with the new bride to Utica, only to return her to her husband several months later, pregnant.
0: That's a real
1: piece of work right there. Yep, ran away with his bride, and it's like, here you go. Um, By the way, the groom didn't take her back, not shocking, and so she lived with her daughter Utica. Oh, yeah. By the way, they named the baby Utica, where she was likely conceived in his home. So this is who we're dealing with. This is who Roxy is working for. Now we're going to go to her father. Victoria's father, Reuben Buckman Claflin, known as Buck, was a con man who came from an impoverished branch of the Claflin family. And the Claflin family were known for their strength, their cunning, but also their ill temperament. He grew up in a timber cabin on a farm in the wilderness, and Buck really wasn't interested in manual labor. And I mean, given props to this, he taught himself to read, to write. It said he was very smart. He was good at math, and he even studied law at one point. However, he was also known to be callous, cold, cruel, a thief, and a gambler. So that kind of outweighed those good things right there.
0: Well, I mean, the good things were used for evil. Exactly. <laughs> Basically. Like, he was crafty and cunning and remarkably intelligent, mm-hmm. resourceful, taught himself how to read, probably for a con, taught himself law, probably for a con, and he was good at math because if you suck at math, you make a lousy thief. Exactly.
1: Now, how did these two meet? How did they come together? <laughs> so, they met through Roxy's employer John Snyder, who we just talked about. He hired Buck Claflin to run his private racing stable. And these two became two peas in a pod. Buck moved in with Snyder, and together they gambled, drank, and visited brothels together. They were besties cut from the same cloth. Exactly. So, Buck is living at the home where Roxy's working. And in December of 1825, Roxy and Buck were married, and Four months later, their first child, Margaret Ann, was born. And just to add a little side note, there is some speculation as to who the father really was of the child. Because it could have actually also been John Snyder.
0: Yes, they,
1: they they as good friends shared everything. Yes, so poor Roxy just got, uh, she got tied up in a mess. Like it just was not good. So now they have to earn a living. So Buck put Roxy to work, traveling around and telling fortunes in, t- in little tents. Roxy would comfort grieving mothers with visions of their children happy in heaven. And at times, she would even fall into deep trances and Buck would collect all the money for it. Now, as you will see, the Claflin family, this this will be a theme, just heads up in their story. The Claflin family was always on the move, traveling from town to town, never staying in one place too long. Um, One writer even said, basically enough just to clean up and clean out. In 11 years of wandering, Roxanna Claflin gave birth to six children, two girls, two boys, and sadly two children that died in infancy. Now, after the family arrived in Homer, Ohio, they decided to put down some roots and spent all their money on a ramshackle, one-bedroom house with an apple orchard and a gristmill. Shortly after, Roxy gave birth to their seventh child, Victoria, on September 23rd, 1838. Now, Victoria herself claimed that she was conceived during the middle of a revival, shortly after her mother was caught in a frenzy, Falling to the ground and exclaiming, "I am born again in the Lamb's blood." Apparently, when she did this, she proved to be irresistible to Buck, who just had his way with her right there in the revival tent. I'm going to say, yeah,
0: that tells you about the revival. If uh, Victoria, the revival culture that Victoria thought it'd be believable to insist that she was conceived during a revival meeting, yes, where um. Uh, that's that's public mm-hmm. in, in a group setting and was not absurd enough to be called an outright lie from the jump. Yeah.
1: And, and when you, if you look into these revivals, which um, these women, it talked about how they would be so taken with the spirit mm-hmm. that sometimes they would end up less than dressed running <laughs> around. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild what you read. So that's how Victoria claimed how she came to be. Now, she, re- she got her name from the young Queen of England. So she's named after Miss Queen Victoria. Though named after royalty, that is really the only thing she had in common with her namesake because Victoria's childhood was desolate, turbulent, and chaotic, to say the very least. It, it's not good. Following Victoria's birth, Roxy had three more children, including a daughter named Utica. Yep. They recycled that name. Yay. Why not? Exactly. Because so many good memories. And finally, Tennessee Celeste. (laughs) I I know. After 10 births and three deaths, the family was finally complete. And Victoria grew very close with her sister, Tennessee, who they called Tinny. (laughs) I know. I know you love her.
0: <laughs> I do. I love them so much.
1: Now, I mean, it's just so tragic. The children lived in squalor under their parents' chaotic rule. Buck ruled over his family and was known for his cruelty. It said he would often beat his children. They had no regular routine, chores, barely any education. They would often beg neighbors for scraps of food and... And the Claflins didn't even have an outhouse and resorted to digging holes in their backyard. So, I mean, this is a terrible existence for these kids. If that's not bad enough, in addition, for a time, Buck's brother Robert, his wife, and their nine children moved into the already crowded home. Yeesh. So So, many people. Oh, my gosh. They said the kids were just sleeping, like, all over the floors. I mean, it's it's just not a good life.
0: I mean, realistically, the kids were sleeping all over the floors even before they moved in with them.
1: But then you add nine more.
0: Just yeah, it's a lot. Extra, it's a lot more sweaty, and there's a lot more people kicking you in your sleep. Exactly.
1: So if this wasn't just crazy enough, then their mother Roxy started. Well, she had already had visions before, but now they're getting more erratic, as well as is her behavior. So their mother engaged in mesmerism. Mm, We've heard of that, that word. before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go back to a few podcasts ago, and you'll learn if you haven't. And you'll learn all about mesmerism. And she would go into a trance-like state and transmit electrical energy to their bodies through her hands to cure them when the kids were ill. Roxy also said that she used her other eye to read their minds, which I think we would say today either your third eye or your mind's eye would be what she'd be talking about. Now, during this time, Victoria, Tennessee and their brother said they also had clairvoyant visions and healing powers. Now, Tennessee appeared to be the most gifted of the children, but Victoria also possessed her own set of abilities. She demonstrated her power to mesmerize her subjects, find lost objects, and could even describe events that she had no knowledge of or that hadn't even happened yet. So, pretty cool. Kids have got some talents. Now, soon Victoria would meet someone special that would forever change her life. So the Claflins lived near the Scribners, which was this really respectable family. The Scribners had actually forbade their daughter Lori to even play or associate with the Claflin children. She wasn't allowed to be with them. And the Claflin children would often come to the back door of the Scribners' house begging for food, even just scraps, which is so sad. Like, this just shows how terrible Roxy and Buck were. They were awful. However, Victoria was different. She wouldn't beg, but instead asked if there were any chores she could do in exchange for food. Now, Rachel Scribner, Mr. Scribner's 21-year-old sister, just took Victoria in. She let her in the house. She showed her kindness, which is something Victoria did not have in her own home. It said she taught a five-year-old Victoria to read and write. She fed her. She washed her hair. She praised her and told her how smart she was, which I mean, it's just like it breaks your heart. It's so sweet. And Victoria visited her almost daily for a year until one day she walked into the Scribner's home and she noticed all the curtains were drawn and when she walked into the parlor she saw Rachel Lane in a coffin. Rachel had died of cholera within 12 hours. So, and I mean Victoria's what, like five or six now. So, years later, Victoria recounted how this led to her first spiritual vision. So she fled the Scribner home, and she ran to the apple orchard to escape. And it was there where she claimed that the spirit of Rachel Scribner, just a few hours dead, came to her and took her by her hand, and she felt herself gliding through the air as they traveled on a spiritual path in an intense white light victoria described heaven as a world of well-kept homes well-dressed men and women laughing singing children of peace and love she and this is her quote she said i saw the spirits descending to the earth and mortals ascending to the spirit world and mingling in common unity the people seemed to be very much engaged as people are they were coming and going as if they were very busy and the scenery of that world was a counterpart of this. She was also said to have spoken to several spirits, including Napoleon Bonaparte, Josephine, <laughs> which is just kind of cool, kind of random, mm-hmm. but hey. And the main spirit guide, which I'm going to let Caitlin say, because honest to goodness, I've been practicing this, and I can't get it out of my mouth. So who was her main spirit guide?
0: Are you sure you don't want to try it one more time? The moth me me. <laughs> I can't say it. You're so close. It's Demos-, Demos... Now I'm having trouble. Demosthenes.
1: Thank you. Could she have found someone that's a little easier to pronounce?
0: She wanted a Greek statesman. What can I say?
1: I know. And it's a good name. I just... I don't know if it's my accent. It just doesn't work for me. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. we, I only have to say it one more time in the story. So I'm just going to like point to you and I'm going to make you say it. But... <laughs> The whole point of this, the most important part of this, is the spirits told her that they were guarding and protecting her. And after that, she kind of woke up from her trance. So by her own account, and as you can imagine, Victoria's described her childhood and her early life that she was a child without a childhood. Makes sense. From the time she can remember, she was put to work. Beginning at dawn, she started on endless rounds of washing, ironing, running errands gardening, chopping wood, laying fires, and tending to infants, all while her father collected the very meager wages she earned. However, during this time, she maintained that she was always guided and protected. And it was even said that the spirits occasionally helped her with these laborious tasks. Now, here's where the Claflin family runs into a little bit of trouble. Just the beginning of their trouble. In the fall of 1847, Buck insured the gristmill against fire for $4,000, which seemed odd because he never actually operated it. On a Saturday night, Buck headed out of town, 10 miles away. And then on the following morning, on his way home, he stopped at a tavern where he saw a red glow in the sky. He made the comment that he feared it was his gristmill on fire. And of course, when he returned home, it was burned to the ground. So Buck tried to collect the insurance money, but the people of Homer accused him of arson. Pretty smart people. And they even spoke about tarring and feathering him and cleansing the town of the Claflin clan. They actually believed Roxy and Victoria probably set fire to the gristmill, but it was all part of his plan. So what does Buck do? Well, he flees town and deserts his family. He just runs away. Hey, that sounds super in character. It does. And in 1848, the women of Homer organize a bazaar on behalf of the Claflin family. Not really to help them out, but just to give them enough money so they leave town and never come back. So, I just picture, like... This bizarre of like them selling goods and raising money literally just to run this town out of family, run this family out of the town. Right.
0: Like this like ongoing flea market of selling clothes, selling baked goods and just gathering funds to make sure the family had enough money to get started elsewhere. And given how much effort Buck put into establishing his alibi elsewhere, like, (laughs) hi, I'm Buck Claflin. Let me buy you a drink. Several miles away and oh no, that's my grist mill. I'm still four miles away. Oh like, yeah It's it's not a big assumption to jump to given his behavior, mm-hmm. the random insuring of the gristmill ah. And the super obvious alibi establishment. Like, this was your plan, dude. Don't even.
1: Well, yeah, and you're so many miles away. That red glow, yep, that's my grist smell, Has to be. Just knew it. Couldn't be your
0: house and you're worried about your family or anything.
1: Oh, no. No. This is Buck we're talking about. He'd do anything for one. <laughs> oh, he <we> would <laughs> Oh, now, as we're talking about it, that date may have kind of passed us by really quickly. So they're holding the bazaar. To raise money for the family in 1848. Now, we know something very significant also happened during that time. Hey, what happened in 1848, (laughs) Jess? Well, in March of the same year, two sisters heard mysterious raps in their farmhouse in Hydesville, New York. So, we are now at the beginning of the spiritualist movement in America, starting with the Fox sisters. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know why it feels like it's like, boom.
0: Dun, dun,
1: dun. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm here for the drama. <laughs> I mean, color me shocked. Now, it wasn't long. This is actually kind of surprising. Before Buck returned to his family in Mount Gilead, Ohio. And they all moved in with Vicky's older sister, Margaret Ann. So this whole clan is just like moving. And it's said that they descended on Margaret Ann's home Fighting and squabbling, as always. And not shocking, Margaret Ann's marriage ended very soon after the family arrived. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure the family did not help the situation, but she was also caught having an affair in a local hotel, so... Yeah. That
0: that might have also
1: played a small part. Well, and it, I don't know if this ran in the family, but the other sister, Polly, she actually married really respectably. She married a lawyer who was going to be this future lieutenant governor of Kansas. But yeah, Polly was also known to have many suitors in town and her husband left her too. So they're not doing too well with the husbands.
0: They're really not.
1: no. Um, now, while all this is going on, they're moving in with, with Margaret Ann and um, trying to make a new living there. They had sent off little five-year-old Tennessee to live with relatives. So, Now, while Tennessee's there, she starts displaying her unique abilities. She starts reading the thoughts of her neighbors. She told a farmer who had lost a calf exactly where to find it. I love this story. She, I guess, had been begging for fruit or asking for fruit. And so this woman gave her some and she's like, that's not the good fruit. Where'd you hide the good fruit? And the woman's like, what? And she's like, I know where you hid your good fruit. I like knew that she had just given her the scraps.
0: I mean, on one hand, beggars can't be choosers. But on the other hand, it is impressive that she knew just by like reading her mind.
1: Yes, I know. I I agree. On both counts. Um, and she also predicted a huge fire that would come to be. So little five-year-old Tennessee is like, she is hitting it on all cylinders psychically. Now, this is going to be shocking to no one. But Buck Claflin heard about his young daughter's abilities and saw money in the tremendous success of the Fox sisters and this swift spread of spiritualism. So How incredibly he heard- out of character for him. I can't believe it. Taking advantage of it. <laughs> so hearing that his own young daughter had abilities, he bought himself a wagon with a bright red canopy and took her on the road, telling fortunes and selling his homemade remedies. Tennessee was billed as the wonder child. She told fortune, located objects, predicted the future and delivered messages from spirits. Now, it wasn't Tennessee was kind of the star of the show, but he also put Victoria to work because she had abilities as well. She had the ability of clairvoyance and she was a fortune teller and she also proved a valuable additional source of income for the Claflin family. Now, now what Buck is doing during all this is he's selling his life elixir, which contained alcohol and laudanum, which is an opiate opiate mixed with herbs and molasses that he sold for a dollar. Now who's helping him brew it? Roxy's helping him brew it out back, and not shocking, she even began taking it herself.
0: No, laudanum's also, also incredibly addictive, so if you get people hooked on it, it's a problem. Yes!
1: And I heard that his younger daughter, Utica, was who, who was helping her mother brew it, she's also taking it as well, so it's just all kinds of messed up.
0: Yeah, it affected her mental state later, too. Like, it was bad.
1: It was really bad. Now, Buck would later put Tennessee and Victoria in a boarding house where they conducted seances for a price. Very similar to the Fox sisters. Victoria would fall into a deep trance to deliver her messages. And in order to intensify their performance, Buck would starve them for days as well as beat them. Yeah, apparently it made them look more ethereal and waif-like. We told you it was going to get ugly. And it's still get, it's it's still going to get worse. So buckle up. This is. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. It gets worse. <laughs> it does. You have to laugh because it's it's going to be bad. In her later life, Victoria actually told friends about her childhood. All that I am, I have become through sorrow. And that is the honest truth. Now, due to this unspeakable treatment from her horrible parents, Victoria was racked with rheumatism. She took to bed with fevers and she just found herself literally unable to leave her bed. Um, her only comfort she said was spending her days conversing with her two deceased sisters.
0: I can't really say that I blame her.
1: I can't either. I even saw where one author talked about this may have been like in a form of escape for her to just kind of like her mm-hmm. only way of just escaping the situation. Um,
0: which if you hate where you are, being able to go into a trance and talk to people that aren't the people around you? Yes. yes. No, I'd do that too. No question.
1: Exactly. Now, were her parents worried? Well, only after they began losing money because of Victoria's illness. So that's when Buck consulted a local physician, Dr. Canning Woodhull. Now, Canning Woodhull was a patent medicine salesman who also claimed to be a doctor. And of course, as we know back then, um, the requirements for physicians were pretty loose to non-existent. Basically, you could just come into town and say, I'm a doctor, and people would believe you. Uh, Caning was immediately taken with the young Victoria and soon asked her to marry him. Now, while Buck disapproved, not because he cared about his daughter, but there's part of our meal ticket, like going out the door, so no, you can't marry her. Well, regardless, in November 1853, a 15-year-old Victoria eloped with Caning Woodhull. So she ran away with him, and she said that her marriage was her escape. Yeah. Well, I'd love to say they lived happily ever after, but mm, that's not how this story's going to go today. No, we said it'd get worse, not better. Exactly. Tragically, life didn't improve for young Victoria because she soon came to learn that her husband was an alcoholic and a womanizer who would neglect his family. And so she had to step in and work to support herself and her husband. Now, in the winter of 1854, Victoria gave birth to their son Byron in a freezing tenement in Chicago just after Christmas. She even insisted that there had been icicles clinging to her bedpost. Like, that's how cold it is. And damp, because icicles don't happen when it's dry. No, and I mean, I'm thinking of winter Chicago. They're in this tenement. That is completely logical like that could happen
0: that doesn't oh, yeah, seem absolutely. like it we had icicles forming on the inside of our houses in texas two years ago mm-hmm. like with the great freeze and we have better insulated houses which is saying something than the tenements did and we weren't even as moist as the dampness of chicago can be in the winter like i absolutely believe that it was cold damp and icicles were forming on the bedpost
1: oh 100 i i agree as well so this is where she's giving birth And she's attended to by her half-drunken husband, who botched the delivery. And after he's botched this delivery, I mean, you have this newborn infant, his wife who's laying there, he leaves. He decides to go to a brothel. That's where he goes. And it's really just literally by chance that a next-door neighbor comes over and helps her. And so while her husband's away, Roxy... Victoria's mom, at the same time, claims to receive a message from Spirit to go save her daughter in Chicago. Like, you've got to get to Victoria. She's not doing well. Now, when Victoria's husband arrives and returns home, he not only finds his wife there, but now his mother-in-law is there as well. And honestly, and I don't know her motives because I don't trust her, but that to me, that may be the only nice thing like Roxy ever did for her daughter. Like The only thing that could qualify
0: even remotely is selfless.
1: Exactly. Like being a good
0: mom and being there for your kid. This is, I think, yeah, I'm with you. This is the only thing that even comes close to ranking.
1: Yeah, because everything, I mean, and I don't even give her that much credit, but to give her anything. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, for all we know, she had another motive to be in Chicago anyway. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'll go ahead and listen to the spirits now (laughs) because I have to be here or something. Like she was conniving so often that I don't blame you for being hesitant on Mm -hmm. giving her credit for this.
1: Yeah, no, it doesn't seem like her nature at all. Now, sadly, the infant was a little boy. They named him Byron. And he just, there's, there's differing stories, but there was something wrong. And he was never able to speak. He never developed teeth. He just really never fully developed. Now, Victoria claimed that it was because her husband had kicked her in the stomach while she was pregnant. Probably true. True. On another occasion, Victoria claimed he had fallen from a second-story window, and then on another time, she simply blamed herself. So, we don't really know what caused it, but, um...
0: I mean, it's hard to try to diagnose into the past like that anyway.
1: It is. Now, looking for a better life, Victoria, Dr. Woodhull, and their son moved to San Francisco during the height of the gold rush. In 1858, go West, young men, was what Horace Greeley, we know him, (laughs) probably gonna be doing a whole episode on him after this research,
0: right, at some point we have to cover him, he is so like inundated in the spiritualism movement, at some point we gotta talk about this uh, pillar of the
1: movement, and his wife, (laughs) but it was Mr. Greeley who commanded that in the Tribune. However, the family didn't find gold, not shocking, and desperate for money. Once again, Victoria had to find a way to support her family. She first took work as a cigar girl in a tavern, After, but after only one day of crude advances, groping, and sexual propositions, she did not quit. She was fired because, <laughs> I guess, she'd, her modesty, they basically said she was too modest, she didn't let them grope her. I mean, what what did they want? But anyway, they said she was bad for business, which good for her for being bad for business in that.
0: I honestly really sincerely hope that she slugged somebody who tried to grope her. And that's why they let her go.
1: I hope so, too. I hope so, too. So instead, she took a sewing job just to make ends meet. But this proved to be really lucky for her because a local actress hired Victoria to alter her costumes. And they soon became friends. And she convinced Victoria who had a real talent for memorization to become an actress. So she started acting in plays. And this was going really well. She was making good money, but she really grew tired of acting and wanted something more for her life. Because, and this this should be said, even from a young, early age, she always, I love this, she always believed she was made for something more. Like one day she was going to have... All the money in the world, all the fame, all the power. I mean, she always had this in her that there was something better for her, which is beautiful. So one evening, while on stage, she had grown tired of acting. Victoria claimed to hear the voice of her sister, Tennessee, calling out to her, come home. The next morning, Victoria, Doc, and Byron boarded a steamer and headed to see the Claflin clan in New York City. Because now they're in New York. I mean, they're all over the place. Now, while Victoria was away, during this time, the Claflin clan was actually prospering because Tennessee, who was now 14 years old, was the family's golden goose. Buck was advertising his youngest daughter as being endowed with supernatural gifts and powers, speaking with spirits, curing illnesses, telling the future, and more. And poor Tennessee was working up to 13 hours a day doing this. Uh, They were also still selling their alcohol and opium-laden cure-all that had been renamed now Miss Tennessee's Magnetic Life Elixir, and they raised the price. It's no longer a dollar a bottle. It's $2 a bottle, which I actually looked up kind of the inflation calculator, which would be roughly around $70 a bottle today is what they're selling it for. Jeepers. Yeah. Yeah. And I doubt that was a really big bottle. I'm guessing that was probably a pretty small bottle. Now, it was said that Buck amplified his daughter's real powers with trickery. So, basically, Tennessee really did have abilities, but to amp it up, Buck cheated as well. So, he'd visit local cemetery. Oh, of course. He'd visit local cemeteries. He'd copy down tombstone information. They also said, they talk about in the book that there was, on the black market, there was this thing called the Blue Book that listed local people in town who were most likely to attend seances and gave, like, all their family history, um, romantic information, and their personal habits. So I guess Buck got a hold of this Blue Book. So he would use that wow. too. I know. I mean, going to some trouble. That is some next level cheating. Not going to lie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, when Victoria returned to the family, of course, they put her to work too. Um, but th- it is said that Victoria really did see auras around her clients. So she could see the aura and she would knew if something was ailing them. It said she also did have the power of magnetic healing. And um, just in general, she had the part, this, way about her where women would come to her to cure their diseases but also just as someone to talk to about what was going on in their lives they talk about sexual abuse perversion maltreatment neglect and they kind of came to her to share it finally with someone and just for her words of wisdom and hope too so so she just had this what is it this something about her that people were drawn to her
0: and i'm sure that the 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 thing the the not the things the experiences that she heard from other people as well as her own experiences Mm -hmm. had to have flavored her momentum later on when it came to trying to push for change in society like she has all of these stories of evidence of why this stuff needs to change and never stopped so i mean this had to have played a part in what influenced her.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, Victoria, Doc and Byron, they spent some time with the Claflin clan and then shocking. They set off again to find a better life. So they're just constantly trying to find a better life, which I mean, it does make sense to get away from her family. That is step one, just to leave them behind mm, yeah. except for poor Tennessee. Cause she loved Tennessee Now, Victoria sought to make a living as a clairvoyant medium and magnetic healer, but she really wasn't making sufficient income and many accused her of using the extra rooms in their home as part of a brothel. And so Victoria, Doc and Byron were run out of town and due to disorderly conduct So when this happened, Victoria finds herself seven months pregnant and once again destitute. History repeats Yeah. So little warning on this. It's a little graphic. What happens next? History repeats itself and she gives birth with the I mean, if you can call it assistance of her inebriated husband. He half severed the umbilical cord without tying it off. Laid the baby on the pillow next to his wife, who has passed out due to exhaustion, understandably, and leaves the house. Just leaves them. Yeah. So when Victoria woke up, she woke up in a pool of blood. And her baby almost dead. The baby does survive. I will say that. She's the one that saves the baby. But she's unable to move. She's banging on a wall trying to get help to someone that was living next to her. And thankfully, once again, a neighbor comes to her rescue and saves her, helps save her and the baby. Three days later, Victoria held her new baby, a little girl, Zula Maud, in her arms. And when she looked out her window, she caught the sight of her husband drunk and staggering up the steps of a house across the street, mistaking it for his own And that was the final straw. That's when they were done. Yeah. I mean. so tired of her husband's drinking, womanizing and occasional beatings. After 11 years of marriage, Victoria divorced Dr. Woodhull and rejoined the Claflin clan, which it's so like, I'm so glad she got away from him, but it's like, oh, but then she went back to her family
0: you right. In what way did this fix things? Oh,
1: well, sort of ish, maybe. Yeah. I would say that this next piece of information is probably the absolute worst, but here's a positive. We are going to end after this on a very positive note to start off part two. <laughs> so just bear with us a little bit longer, but we will end on a happy note. So... At this point, America is now in the midst of the Civil War, but Buck Cleflin doesn't care about that. He's only thinking of himself, and what new profit-based business is he going to come up with? So this time he focused on a disease that plagued mankind, cancer. He decided he was going to find a cure for cancer that would make him a fortune. So now he takes his family to Ottawa, Illinois, and rented the Fox River House, the town's oldest hotel. On the second floor, he established an infirmary and advertised himself as the American King of Cancers. I quote, Dr. Claflin guarantees a cure in all cases where patients live up to directions. Cancers killed and extracted root and branch in from 10 to 48 hours without instruments, pain, Hmm. Or use of chloroform, simply by applying a salve of the doctor's own make. So that's what he's advertising. Now this, you can't see me, but I'm going to do quotations. This healing salve was brewed in the backyard by Roxy and contained scent, fat sheep, and lye. And it was extremely caustic and extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. so that whole part about without some pain yeah not gonna happen so at this point as he's advertising this the fox river house is overflowing because victoria has returned home now her sister margaret ann is at home polly the other sister is at home with all their children oh goody yeah so not only is he now this cure-all for cancer he's also not going to let the opportunity go to waste that he has all these all his daughters there as well. So he also advertised that on the first floor of the Fox River house, his daughters were providing lessons in the quote cult of love. Yeah. So you get your cancer cured on the second floor, but on the first floor you get lessons in the cult of love from his daughters.
0: Oh, good. That sounds like something that won't get you kicked out of town (laughs) in Victorian America. (laughs)
1: Well, there you go. Not, su- not surprisingly, by the hey. summer, there were several complaints that the extra rooms were being used for improper rendezvous and that the daughters offered sexual services. With a title like
0: that? No way. I mean, what is he thinking? The cult of love? Like, what even is that? Okay. First of all, he's very rarely thinking. <laughs> Truth. Truth. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it is Buck. Why, why? Why are we even shocked? It's Buck. We're baffled. I think more than shocked anymore. Like oh. you went through this entire process and you still thought it was a good idea in your tiny little brain. Okay, good job. That's more baffled than shocked because we're in no way surprised.
1: No, no. As I and as I was doing my own research and reading about this, I'm like, oh, it just keeps getting worse. Oh, it just keeps getting worse. And and here here we go. Let's 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 end and then we're gonna stop on a high note. Because Tinny was the most famous of the family, her name was used in Buck's Healing Solve advertisements. It was said that she alone would apply her father's cancer treatments, so she did. Now, after the application, the screams of patients could be heard throughout the neighborhood. And Victoria even wrote of the damage she saw from this Healing Solve. Okay, here we go. It was pus, blood, and exposed cartilage is what it did to people. She actually questioned her father on why he would do this to people, why he used this treatment. And old Buck said, there's only three cures for cancer. Cut it out, poison it with arsenic, or burn it out. I burn it out. That's not better, dude. No, no. So this is going on. Thankfully, it's so sad because she does pass from her injuries, but thankfully a very brave patient. Named Rebecca Howe, exposed the fraudulent Claflin family, and the infirmary was then raided by local marshals and two doctors. I will spare you the details, but what they found was horrifying. And one doctor said it was worse than the infamous Andersonville prison camp, what he saw in that infirmary. Oh, infirmary, excuse me. No. Yeah. I mean, worse than Andersonville, which is notorious. Wow. And this makes me so mad at Buck because poor Tennessee Claflin was indicted for manslaughter because she was the one putting the solve on people because Buck made her. But before the arrest warrant was issued, the Claflins had already fled town.
0: Yeah. You remember that part where he taught himself law for a little while? I wonder if that's why Tenny was the one applying the salve. It was. Yeah, exactly. So... Family flees town. Not shocking. You could write an entire book on the Clafton clan and that would be the title. <laughs> they just leave. They just flee. Family flees town.
1: I mean, every other sentence I was like, now they're in Chicago. Now they're in Illinois. Now they're here. Now they're in It was like, wait, where are they now? <laughs> like, I can't even keep track. So they, they split. The family goes one direction. Victoria takes her children to Chicago on her own to work as a healer clairvoyant. The rest of them head to Cincinnati to start their fortune-telling business up again. But once again, they're accused of running a house of prostitution. And it's not long before the Claflin clan turns up in Chicago at Victoria's doorstep. Coming to live with their daughter. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, you can't escape them. Okay, now this is where we're going to end. So Victoria splits from her family again she's trying to get away from them like she's trying to run away from them so now she takes her children to st louis lewis where she sets up shop but this time she does it under an alias of madame holland she doesn't use her name mm. one day a colonel james harvey blood enters victoria's shop with his wife and her life was forever changed. So Colonel James Harvey Blood, he, he had been in the Civil War. Before that, he had been a city auditor. He was president of the St. Louis Railroad Company. He was a really prosperous man who had an impeccable reputation and was married with two daughters. Um, he fought in the Civil War, came home as a hero, and he actually got really involved in spiritualism after the war. Which is really cool. He became the president of the St. Louis Society of Spiritualists. Now, like I said, Colonel Blood had accompanied his wife, who was seeking out Victoria's healing services. However, soon Colonel Blood began going to visit Victoria, or Madame Holland, on his own. Mm. without his wife. Mm-hmm. And that summer, Blood and Vic- Vicky fled leave, and he left his wife, children, and everything he knew behind to be with Victoria. They were married in 1866, but since they were both staunch advocates for the free love movement, they would actually get a divorce two years later to protest the confinement of the marriage (laughs) laws. So that's
0: kind of funny. I do love that part, not going to lie.
1: And just for a little side note, and you're probably going to be talking about this, Caitlin, free love was a big movement back then and it argued that individuals should be able to remain with romantic partners as long as they choose and then they can move on rather than marry someone for life. And it also sought to destigmatize divorce and make it easier for wives to leave abusive husbands, which really, I think free love sometimes gets a bad rap, but it makes so much sense back then where these women were trapped in these horrible marriages. It's like, Of course, they would want another option where you can just, yeah, you're with someone, but if it doesn't work out, then you can move on to someone else and you're not having to divorce and go through all that. So I totally understand it.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially with our modern, like in 2022, like we're still, you know, oh, no, they got divorced. The marriage didn't work out. We're sad. But like something as simple as we've fallen out of love with each other is a valid reason Mm -hmm. to no longer be together in a marriage, Mm -hmm. which fortunately for the majority of the people I talked to were accepting of now. Yes. That was not an option. then. Not only was that seen as a failure that was seen as not legally allowed. Like a dude could divorce his wife, but he had like a list of choices. Like it was multiple choice. Why are you divorcing her? And I think the only reason you could divorce your husband was with was uh, physical abuse and you had to be able to prove it and only certain things counted as abuse.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. No, you could. I mean, this sounds terrible, but it's true. Like, in some places, you could literally beat your wife as long as the instrument you were using wasn't, like, really big or they, like, they had requirements. That's where on we what, get the rule of thumb. As long yes. as the
0: stick is not bigger than the size of your thumb, you can hit your wife with it.
1: Yeah. And that was...
0: I mean... Oh my God! How's this for something horrifying and upsetting? Do you? Oh, let me double check the date real quick. Yeah. Okay. I have the I did have the right date. Um. So, uh, to 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 shift through, we usually think of free love when we hear it in modern contexts. We think about the 1960s, right. where yes, the assumption is multiple sexual partners, right. whenever, however, and with how many at a time. Um. And that movement was also to give women more freedom in being able to leave abusive or unhappy marriages. Right. So one of the things that Victoria wanted to also do was she wanted to take care of something that was basically spousal um, trigger warning. Talk about sexual assault. Um, She basically was trying to address spousal rape. Yeah. Do you know what year that became illegal in all 50 states? I actually don't. 1993. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. My jaw is like on the floor. Prior to the 1970s, it was legal in every state. So, it only started wow. becoming illegal in the 1970s. She's fighting this in the 1870s. Yeah. Like, this woman is so far ahead of her time. Yeah. But the problems are so chronically an issue in so much of human history. Oh, yeah. Like, what she's asking for is not irrational. And free love does not mean sexual partners left, right, and center. No. It literally means being able to leave situations where you're no longer happy, either because you're with a terrible person mm-hmm. or because you're simply not a good fit anymore. And the two of you want to go your separate ways. Yeah, She's literally asking for what I would consider basic yeah, respect in these situations. And it, it it's been such a long battle. It's not even funny. And yeah. yeah, no, it's, oh my God. It was horrifying when I heard that statistic and I double checked it.
1: 1993. That's crazy. And and thank you for um talking about kind of the difference and and the misconception of what this free love movement was back then. Um very different than what we think of. And I mean, it it and if you were a woman that divorced, you were the one that was even if you're you had a husband like she had, it was a scandal and you were ostracized from society. Like you were You also lost your kids.
0: Like, nowadays, we talk
1: about how the mom always gets
0: sided with when it comes to custody. Nah, back then, it was always dad who got custody. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, I mean, it totally makes sense why she would be, like, be a part of this movement. And I think it says a lot that her, well, her husband, um, and then I guess her partner, but that for the time period he was, that's so unique (sighs) to me that a man, especially, like, this prosperous civil war soldier and all this, that he is all about the free love movement too, is actually really cool. Um, So, so, yeah, so that's, and we'll probably get into a little bit more of that, but so she's married and then unmarried, but still together. (laughs) Um, She's happily unmarried. Happily unmarried. There you go. Now um, to end, desperate to leave the Claflin clan, Tennessee rebels. Finally. Finally. She packs the suitcase, and she leaves the family to go live with Victoria and Colonel Blood. So together, they all continue to move constantly from town to town, (laughs) trying to make a living. And Victoria, during this time, was growing discouraged. But she still believed she was made for something more. There was something bigger for her life. So she wrote that while sitting in the parlor of yet another boarding house, she had a spirit come to her in a white toga and say, Your work is about to begin. All these years have been preparing you for a great mission. Go to New York City, to 17 Great Jones Street. There you will find a house ready and waiting for you and yours. Then, Victoria had a vision of a beautiful house with comfortable furniture, and when she asked the spirit to reveal their identity— The spirit pointed to a white marble top table that stood nearby and traced letters across the surface. The letters grew brighter until they burst into flames and she read the name written in the fire. And what was it, Caitlin? (laughs)
0: Demosthenes.
1: Yes. (laughs) That's what she got. And that is where we're going to end part one.
0: Yay.
1: So that was a lot. And I know that was heavy. Um, It was a lot. And there's so many details
0: that you included that I'd never heard before. Really? Yeah. Like, I mean, especially, like, I knew that, um, I knew, unfortunately, the, the unfortunate situation for children's births, but... The, um Some of the details about what her dad was pulling when they were kids, they mm-hmm. were just usually because we're I'm, I'm reading books that skim the entire yes. topic of her life. Yes. They don't always get into the nitty gritty of things. And so thank you so much for giving me more details to live in my brain.
1: Oh, you are welcome. And again, giving credit where credit is so due. It's that the book Other Powers by Barbara Goldsmith. I mean... And there were even so many details and stories I couldn't even include because this would have gone on another hour. Yeah, Victoria is a really good
0: example of why we can talk about this stuff for seven hours in a row (laughs) and why we're trying to take pity on all of you and all of us and everyone in the world by not making this a five-part episode that is two hours apiece, (laughs) um, mini-series style, because we absolutely
1: could. We could. And I feel like, now, Caitlin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like... Not that everything's perfect, don't get me wrong, in her later life, but I feel like things get better. Like, there's more positive things coming for her. She,
0: she has some more waves coming, and she's yeah. got some very high peaks that she soars yeah. to. She's got another couple of trenches that she has to dig through. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think we at least will have a positive ending. <laughs> Unlike when we covered the Fox sisters, and we were like, "Oh, things are better." Oh no, no, they're not. Oh, okay, they died. Um, (laughs) They died. (laughs) This time, we will have a okay. Things of things have find. uh, We'll we'll find some equilibrium to, to end her story on fully, which I think is novel when it comes to people in the spiritualism movement and in general. I feel like not many people have their stories end on an even moderately positive note.
1: I know, and and I really think, this is kind because I know it's been a long one, but question, like, I think so many people also, when it comes to Victoria, dismiss her as like, not having real abilities, or not really being, it's almost like she just more used that, but I really feel that she and Tin- Tinny did have abilities. I think their father, like we said, he was a fraud, so he added to that, but I really feel like they did.
0: Yeah, no, I think I have the same opinion with them that I do with a lot of people who've mm-hmm. reached fame in regard, like, obviously with a con man as a their guiding parental force, because mm-hmm. mom didn't seem to have as much, there's not as much obvious input on right. their behavior. With a con artist at the helm, they definitely learned how to work people and to look yeah. for good marks, but that... I don't think takes away from the fact that they had instincts that were beyond what their dad could harness for himself. Yes. And I think they had absolute skills like kind of like with the fox sisters or with mm-hmm. the gold anybody who was trying to work during the golden age mm-hmm. of spiritualism You're trying to draw in as big an audience as possible with consistent abilities and readings that are just above and beyond what anyone could possibly believe, which is how we get (coughs) ectoplasm. Um, (laughs) But like, I think at their core, they still had abilities. Mm -hmm. And speaking as someone who has for most of her life had the ability to find things and then I lost that ability for like 12 years and it drove me insane. Oh and I God. got like a version of it back where it's not as strong as it used to be. But I used to be able to like go between a dresser and a bed and find somebody's comb that they've been missing for five years. Oh
1: my Like gosh.
0: it's it's a weird like you can hear, feel or sense. I don't have a good word for it where something is hidden. Mm-hmm. And that's such a weird thing to claim especially when no one else is claiming it that's famous, that I feel like Tenny's ability to find stuff definitely has to be real.
1: I think so, too. Would that be a wonder, like, remote viewing or, like, a form of it? Not complete remote viewing, but you're kind of seeing where something is. It depends on how it works. I mean, for her, it might have been seeing. For
0: me, it was almost like a weird, like, buzzing magnetism, and I didn't Mm -hmm. even know what I was finding until I picked it up.
1: (gasps) That's so cool. That's really cool. I'd also
0: do it for myself. Where the heck is this thing? Two days later, digging, like just randomly cleaning or grabbing for something. And I'm like, what is back here that's bothering me so much? I'll reach like behind my headboard. And I'm like, oh, that's where that went. (laughs) Like, it's a little bit just trying to be cleaning and a little bit of ADHD hyper focus. But it's definitely like, why would I move my headboard? I wasn't even vacuuming that day kind of stuff. Right. Um, And for me, it's definitely not visual. But I mean, we've already covered that most of my gifts aren't tied to vision. Which is good, because I am very, very blind without my glasses. <laughs> and then I think, I don't know, we catch a lot of, we get, we hear a lot of stuff about Victoria being more of a con artist and having less gifting yeah. abilities than her sister did, but I think that there was a really solid blend of, obviously, trauma-based empathy, yes. but also I think just basic empathic abilities Mm-hmm. And granted, you can use those to be a con artist. I wow. have people I've met in the past who do. Then um, <laughs> they manipulate people and it's terrible and I can't stand it. But yeah. it's... The way she tried to harness it and make it to where she was helping people in the moment and then use it as a force for change. Yeah. I think... I mean, with that kind of instinct, you're either a really crafty politician or trying to be a force of change.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, what a wonderful place to end it. And I want to thank everyone for um, listening because I know that's a, it's a heavy episode. It's a, it's a heavy one, but it's so important to share her backstory because that's what shapes someone that helps make them who they are. So Thanks for sticking through it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: No, yeah, for sure. Like this one was a very intense building session. Yeah. And I mean, you'll absolutely, you already probably know because you are the kind of listeners that you are. Uh, You already know how important it is to understand the foundation that something's built on when it comes to personalities and behaviors. And so we will get into stuff next, uh, next time. And I promise that I will try to keep my ranting and raving about hypocrisy to a minimum because that is going to be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) And in the meantime, if you did enjoy this episode at all, please, of course, do us the favor and appease the podcast gods by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podcast Addict or wherever you listen to us. And while you're there, hit subscribe so you know when we release new episodes like part two. It's going to kind of be important for you to hear the rest of the story. And if you're subscribed, you'll hear
1: when it drops. Exactly. And we, of course, as always, want to hear from you. So let us know what you think about this episode. And as always, is there if there's any topics you want us to cover and explore in future episodes. And
0: if you're feeling lucky, you can try to utilize contacting the Spears to try to get through to us. But I ask you very nicely, do not blow up a gristmill to get our attention. <laughs> no. I do not have one nearby and I do not have to worry about setting up an alibi. I don't we don't we don't need gristmills blowing up anywhere in the countryside just so you can talk to us about the pod.
1: Yeah, no. A letter? Send
0: us a letter. Letters letters are good. Emails, electronic letters, if you will. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, on that note, (laughs) we look forward to seeing you all next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.